0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of Life Point Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. What a beautiful morning. Amen? Probably not going to be this way all day. The uh, forecast is calling for heat serious Missouri almost July heat so we're going to be done before then I promise it's so good to see each of you here today and I hope that you've had a blessed week I hope that today is a blessing to you as you celebrate Father's Day I know for some of you it's a joyful celebration as you share with your fathers for others you've lost your father he's no longer with you and so it's the memory of him you cherish I received good counsel this week from someone who was encouraging me my own. said, my own. They were telling me that their father had passed about 10 years ago. And they said, you know, the further away from his passing you get, the grief doesn't leave, but it lightens as the memories continue to sweeten and compound. How thankful I am for that in this day. Whew. Okay, let's move on to the Word. Ephesians chapter 6. I want to start with one of my favorite memories of my father today as I talk about fatherhood, the glory of godly leadership. The glory of godly leadership. And, and as I start today, I, I feel like I need to put a disclaimer of an apology out there for those of you maybe who know, knew my father. Um, but, but what I want to tell you, and I think you'll understand in a moment what I, why I said that, What I want to share with you today is one of my favorite memories of how it is he taught me to avoid the law and avoid getting arrested. Yeah, it was very important. Maybe he knew something more about me than I knew about myself at that time, right? Now, some of you, I know you've met my father, and this may shock you a little bit, but he had some criminal tendencies. Criminal tendencies. I'll offer you one example, probably the best that... that, the most grievous tendency that I can remember in his life. One day we were raking pine straw in our yard. Now you have to understand, raking in our yard was not just something we did because we had to. It was something we did because my father intentionally planned it. He had two sons and I'm convinced we moved two or three times as we got a little older because the yard wasn't big enough to occupy us enough of our time. So dad said, you boys need more to do. I'm going to go buy a house that has a bigger yard. We lived on a, about an acre, maybe a little more than an acre yard. And it had pine trees 60, 70, 80 feet tall. The pine straw never stopped falling. I can remember more than he said, Lane and Larry, go mow. He said, go rake the pine straw. Man. I hate pine straw because it gets all clogged up in the rake and it, it's just ugly, you know. But but th- this raking for us as the Harrison men, it was my dad's principal strategy for character development and making men of us boys. I'm convinced of that. So one day we're out in the yard and we're raking and, and this was one of those days it had probably gotten a little deeper than normally, and we would rake it up, and we would put it into the back of his pickup truck, and then we would haul it off into the woods and dump it into the woods. I mean, it fell off of trees. It seems most natural. You just take it out somewhere and dump it, right? Well, we had spent most of the day doing that, and on this one particular instance, we were on our third truckload. Third truckload. I'm telling you, we had a lot of pine straw. And so we we load it in the truck, we get it all packed in, and we drive a couple of miles down the road to this kind of dirt road where there's a high line, and we drive down the high line a little ways, and we back up to where we've already dumped the first two loads of pine straw And and we're about to dump the third load. It'll be our last load of the day. And my dad and I are standing in the back of the truck on top of all this pine straw, rakes in hand, and all of a sudden, a police car pulls up the dirt road, turns onto the high line, and just kind of kicks his lights real quickly. And my dad turns to me, he reaches in his back pocket, and he pulls out a handkerchief, and he says, act like you're blowing your nose or something. What? What? I... What? I, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So the police officer gets out of his car, walks over to the truck, and he says to says, how you fellas doing today? And my dad, who's still figgling with his handkerchief and his nose, with a rake in his arm like he's not doing anything but blowing his nose, says to the police officer, "Oh, we're doing fine, officer. How are you today? And the officer said, I'm doing, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. And he said, I just needed to ask you men, as we stood there in the back of my dad's truck on top of a truckload full of straw, he said, you're not about to dump that straw onto that straw, are you? And my dad looked at him and went, absolutely not. And the police officer said to him, good, because if I saw you do it, I'd have to issue you a citation. And so we were like, well, why would we ever do that? I don't know who put this here. How irresponsible for these big loads that have already been put here. And that's how my father trained me by his criminally cunning ways. When the cops show up, blow your nose or something. Right? Fathers, God has given us a high and a holy responsibility with our families And I want to talk about that responsibility today. I want you to understand that God ordained fathers to lead their children to love Jesus first and to live for His glory in all of life. Now I'm talking specifically about fathers today, and and so I, I, I obviously I'm not dismissing marriage, I'm not dismissing other family responsibilities, but I'm speaking specifically of the relationship of fatherhood today, so you'll have to bear with me as time doesn't allow for me to always expand and explain the network of relationships in the family, but I want to talk today from Ephesians 6, 4, about the biblical role of a father by five aspects of his godly leadership in the home. On Mother's Day, I talked about the glory of godly love through his image as female in mothers. And today, I want to talk about the glory of godly leadership from fathers. Ephesians 6, verse 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father is not an arbitrary label that Paul uses here, but rather it is a reference, a title to the male parent who by God's designation is to lead the home. One verse in all the New Testament sets forth the central teaching for fatherhood. One verse. There are no lengthy passages prescribing the intricacies of fatherhood. And there's one reason I believe for this. Because the whole Bible is the manual for fathers as leaders in their home. Both as a handbook for how to and a curriculum of what to teach. And so as we look at this this morning, I want to use this verse as somewhat of a a launch. I want to unpack five aspects of godly leadership in the home for us that a father is ordained by God to provide. And the first aspect I want to look at begins with this verse and its placement in Ephesians chapter 6. Aspect number one is that we have one priority to lead your children to obey Jesus. Fathers, we have one priority to lead our children to obey obey Jesus. Now, why do I begin with this? Well, Paul begins his instruction to fathers, and it doesn't just come out of nowhere, it actually comes as a culmination of his instruction to children. Paul, in verses just prior to verse 4, says to children, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children have one command until they're out from under the responsibility of their parents, and it is to obey them. One command to obey them. And the way that Paul culminates this instruction to children is to point to fathers and to tell them that you have one priority. This is your principal priority and responsibility, is to teach and to train your children to obey God. This is why you feed them. This is why you clothe them. This is why you love them. This is why you resource them. Everything you do, Dad, points to this one priority in life. To obey Jesus because he and he alone is the source of life and so Paul tells children what it is that God expects of them and of course as many of you as parents know you've told your children what you expect of them too and they perfectly did it every time right no and so God looks to fathers and he finishes Paul finishes by saying, Fathers, your responsibility is to make sure your children fulfill their responsibility before God. It's not one of a number of responsibilities. This is the first responsibility of fatherhood. Yes, fathers do have other responsibility, but there is no other responsibility of a father that holds a higher glory than the godliness of of their children and so the first priority of the father is to lead their children to obey Jesus well Paul goes on to instruct how to do this and he uses a negative warning and then he uses a positive exhortation and so the second aspect of godly leadership in the home is to second of all recognize the stewardship of your authority to lead your children Recognize the stewardship of your authority, fathers, to lead your children. What does he say? He says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Paul warns fathers against provoking their children. Now, why would he say this? Well, a father's natural responsibility the one who has been bestowed with authority from God as the head of his home with the principal responsibility to teach and lead his family how to follow and obey Jesus. That natural responsibility is one that tends towards negative response of frustration. Why? Because you're teaching your children to identify and to fight the sin that is preventing them from obeying God. It's critical for our role. Paul does not mean that your children will never get angry or that you'll never make them angry. Don't make that mistake. Don't make that overapplication. I heard it said one time that if there's a scale of 0 to 100, you know, that, that percentage scale, that you're probably going to live in that 30% area. And if you're below 30%, you're probably not doing enough to, you know, help them understand obedience. But, but if you're dialing it up to 70 to 80 or more percent all the time, you're probably doing too much. You need to dial it back. Any given time, you're going to be bouncing between, you know, 20, 30 percent and up on your child's anger towards you. Now, when we say anger, there's different kinds of anger. And I want you to lighten up just for a moment and understand what I'm trying to communicate here. But Paul's not saying that your children will never get angry with you or that you'll never make them angry. Here's what he's telling us, that that our authority in their life shouldn't be so heavy and hard on kids at all times that they lose hope of being able to achieve or to excel, or ever doing enough, or of ever measuring up, such that they become discouraged, or that they lose hope. That's what he's saying when he talks about provoking your children. In other words, don't strip your children of hope because of the heaviness or the repetitiveness of the way that you uh, 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 execute your authority in their home. And neither should you Flip to the other end of that and be so light with it. In other words, so dormant in its exercise that there is no expectation. Listen to me, friends. No expectation of godliness in the home is as much an element of provoking your children to hopelessness as too heavy an exercise of it. Because in all that we say and do, fathers... We're teaching our children about the Father, our Heavenly Father. We must learn to steward our authority in such a way that builds our children up, even when and in how we discipline them. My grandfather used to say it this way, Give me a few minutes with that boy, I'll break his will, but I'll build his spirit. That's pretty good counsel. I don't know if you can do it in a few minutes or not, but... As a long-term trajectory, our will in its broken, sinful nature is never going to produce in us or through us what God has intended for us. But by God's Spirit inhabiting us, He will do that work. And that's the work of a father. Fathers must be careful not to suffocate the hopes and the courage of children by a sustained heaviness of authority on them. But make clear where it is that our hope is set, and then build life in such a way that everything flows and culminates in the one who is our hope, Jesus Christ alone. Yes, there will be plenty that we must do that upsets our children. If you're like me, you'll take great pride in the hashtag Karen. I'm learning to live in it every day. I can't wait for grandkids either. Because I'm going to get back at my kids through their kids. Right? Am I right, grandparents? I hear you. You're not even the same people that raised your children. I know how you are. Do you understand what he's saying here, friends? that we have a responsibility and the right way to exercise that authority, fathers, is not in being dormant with it or passive with it, but also not being so heavy-handed that we suffocate the hopes and dreams of our children. We have been given a very short period of time with lives that can make an eternal impact in others. He's helping us to navigate. Our actions must not strip of hope but rather help them in measuring up for the fullness of what the Father wants to do through them. A father must make sure his children always know of his love and his joy in them. I was watching the knife maker at Silver Dollar City one time and he was taking an old rusted piece of steel and beginning from the very beginning of showing us how it was that he went about his craft. And he took this old rusty piece of steel and he would take it and plunge it into the coals and until it got red hot and then he would pull it out and set it on the anvil and beat on it a little bit and look at it and stick it back in the coals and bring it back, hammer it a little more, just giving a few strategic blows to the right places with the right amount of effort and always keeping it hot. And he was describing the whole process, and in the midst of it, as he described the process, he also offered some life commentary to everything. And at one moment, he looked up at myself and my son, who was standing with me, and he said this. He said, Raising kids is a lot like knife making. It is a repeated series of right hits to heated material until you get what you want. That's good. That's really good. Fathers, we must be vigilant to guard against making our children feel hopeless and measuring up as we shape their lives for God's glory. So how do we do this? Well, following the negative warning, he gives positive exhortation that outlines the father's responsibility. And this is the third aspect of fatherhood, that our first responsibility is to raise your children to love Jesus. Now, you'll remember the first aspect that I gave you, was our one priority is to teach our children to obey Jesus. But that's never going to happen if our children don't love Him first. And so this is our first responsibility. He says this, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. That that, that, uh, verb there just simply means to raise or to nourish. The sense is to look after and care for a season of time until the child becomes an adult. You see, a father's responsibility has a definite objective to raise children to become God-honoring, productive adults. Adults who love Jesus. Love, yes. Because if we don't love Jesus first, any effort of obeying Him will only push us further away from Him. The role of father is not simply for us to endure until they get out of the house passively. And it's not to negligently bankroll whatever they choose to do without any lack of discernment in our own life. A number of years ago I heard about a movement called the unparenting movement. And it defines itself as a new approach to parenting for today's parents who are looking for an alternative to the harsh authoritarianism of the past or permissive-anything-goes attitude so prevalent today. I find it interesting, friends, how often the world loves to deride masculinity in its true form as only bullish or abusive. Surely there are perversions of it that are both of those things. But if you look at the vast amount of social ills today, you can see it as a re- result of the lack of masculinity and absent fathers in the homes and in the lives of children. And those children grow up to be adults who never had someone who taught them and trained them to love. Jesus, what Paul exhorts is that Christians reject any measure of un in our role as parents. Yes, we want to see the full measure of godliness in this unique individual come to bear and to grow up and to be a productive adult. But listen friends, that doesn't happen by just standing on the sidelines and watching. No, as we're seeing, even in this generation particularly, Satan is having his way with young adults as they transition from childhood to adulthood. We are losing influence in their lives. And God is calling us as fathers not to retreat, but to advance. Not to lay down, but to take up what God has given us to do. There is no one else No matter how imperfect you are, Dad, no one else can do what God has given you to do. Do not leave it to anyone else. Paul exhorts us to intentionally lead our children to a designated point of adulthood, natural maturity, and with a very specific aim of being productive, not only in life, like a good citizen of the earth, but even more important, being godly, a good heavenly citizen in the earth. Psalm 127.4 is a verse that many like to quote. It says this, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. I can tell you this, we use them this way today, but arrows are not for admiration or decoration. They are weapons for a very particular purpose. And dad, you may be thinking, I'm going to fling this arrow, but that's not what Psalm is telling you. You don't get to fling the arrow. It will be your children that fling the arrow of their life. It is your responsibility to make sure that they fly straight, and that they fly true, and that they fly fast, and that they fly accurate into the bullseye. Of godliness in their life. We need to understand our role. Or we'll spend all our time on the wrong things. All of our life. With all of our influence. Our responsibility remains for our children. To find the bullseye of walking in godliness with their life. Yes you will have an influence. After they're out from under your immediate responsibility. But don't wait to then. To give them the aim your children will learn to love dad what they learn from you while they are with you your children will learn what to love and how to love the things in this life in a healthy way not because you give them all the right principles but because they learn it by watching you and when paul says bring them up to love jesus he means to bring them up by bringing them along in your own journey for love for Jesus will be more cult than taught. In my doctoral studies we were talking among ourselves as students one day and a man came up to me and he said, hey you're a pastor's kid, right? I heard you tell that when you were telling about yourself. I said, about yourself. I said yes I am. He said, how do you not hate the church and hate God? And I said, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm a pastor. That's one reason I don't. It doesn't serve very well in the in the line of work I'm in. And he said, well, that's not what I mean. I mean, you're a preacher's kid. How did you get out of that house without hating God and hating the church? And I said, well, I guess if I had to be simple about it, I would just simply say, my parents didn't hate God. My parents didn't hate the church. Why would I hate what they taught me to love? And why would I hate what I've learned is so valuable in my life? It will be more caught than taught, dad's. You must walk in love for Jesus to bring your children up to love Him. For living the Christian life without love for Jesus is the most hopeless exercise of frustration. There is no doubt some of you are trying to make Jesus happy without worrying about loving Him. And you got that in reverse order. You will never make Him happy. No matter what you do, no matter how well you do, you can't make Him happy. Why? Because just like you frustrate yourself, you'll find your weaknesses, you'll find your shortcomings, you'll find your failures. But listen, you will never surprise God with those. And if you will listen to what He has done for you and receive it from Him and focus on loving Him, not appeasing Him, you will find that loving Jesus makes all of our greatest successes and our worst failures, hopeful, not hopeless. Christian fathers have a first responsibility, an agenda of godliness and faithfulness for our children to arrive at adulthood because we bring them up to love Jesus. And that's going to demand an intentional strategy. That's what Paul gives us. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the, Lord. the fourth aspect of godly leadership is that we teach and train our children how to love and obey Jesus. How to love. This is the Christian parenting strategy. Too often we define discipline only as a form of punishment. Back in the day it was known as whooping. I don't even think that's known today, but nonetheless. The Bible teaches that discipline Is not just a form of punishment. Much, much more than that. It's critical because discipline is the first order expression of godly love. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Listen friends. According to Proverbs... Some of the most unloving fathers are the coolest and the most liked by their children at the time. Let that sink in for a moment. If you are living, Dad, to make your children happy and to make your children like you, you're not only going to fail, you're going to frustrate them to no end. They don't need you to be a friend. They need you for a far higher, godly, and glorious purpose. They need you to be a father. And on the scale of relationships, friendship is down here. Fatherhood is way up here. You get up here, you get everything underneath. You only get to here, you miss everything, and so do they. Discipline refers to the whole training and the education of a child as a way of life. It's the cultivation of their mind and of their morals. It's the shaping of core beliefs and convictions of their life. It's training them in what to love and what not to love and and teaching them by the, the practice and the refusal to indulge both. There is no moment in life when a father is not shaping his children in godliness, both in what you do and in how and why you do all that you do. Discipline should always be joined with teaching or rather with verbal instruction. So as you think about discipline, don't let verbal instruction be absent from it. Discipline is the strategy that involves the whole being of the child, but it is led by instruction and training or practice. And instruction begins in the mind. Why? Because that's where Christian transformation begins, the renewal of the mind. Nothing is more formative than a child's mind. Science proves this, even from the womb, language and speech begins with the definition of understanding for all of life. They tell us that a child by six months of age already has a working vocabulary of a couple of hundred words, potentially. Six months? There's a reason the first words out of a child's mouth almost completely are either mama or dada. And if that's not what they actually say, that's what you'll actually hear. doesn't matter what they say. Oh, did you hear that? Why? You are shaping their mind. And the question is, what surface are you shaping it around? What's it going to look like if it takes the form of what you're shaping it around with your words? And there's a reason that, that kids naturally start to ask, but Why? But why? But why? But why? Number one, because I said so, is the best answer you can ever give. Because that's what God said, right? But it shouldn't be the only answer you ever give. At 12 to 15 whys, you can start to give it. But prior to that, keep instructing and explaining why? you are catechizing them you are teaching them the what and the why of life you are setting their hopes and their hearts upon things that are so far beyond only in this creation that they may not see with their eyes but they can see with their heart you're giving them a vision of glory that is so much greater than just the landscape and its own glory but you're giving them a vision of heaven of eternity with God, of the One who is our Creator and who by His Son Jesus Christ brings us back into fellowship and relationship with Him. You are shaping these young minds instruction demands explanation over and over and over and over again and listen when you get frustrated with having to answer those questions just remember it's not about a single hit on the piece of iron that takes it from some old rusty piece of useless metal and shapes it into a tool or a weapon of life but it is the regular disciplined, strategic, intentional strikes that form it into a beautiful piece of craftsmanship and so it will be with your children as well. You have a very very limited amount of time. You go, I know, I've only got 18 years. You don't have 18 years because about 12 or 13, they're going to start going, and you know, man, if I don't have it in them by now, it may not get in them. You've got to change your strategy and act like it was intentional. I don't care how young they are, start now. The most important words a father can speak to their child are the words of God in the Bible because those words never fail. Those words will be with them when you are not. When you cannot. Fathers, when you read and explain God's word to your children, You frame their thinking and you shape their understanding of everything by the wonder and the glory of God's truth and of God's. Grace. This is why Deuteronomy 6 says that we teach our children diligently so that we brand their hearts with love for God by obedience to His words. We do it when we sit at home, when we walk along the way, before we go to bed at night and first thing in the morning when we rise. We talk about loving and obeying Jesus when we're on the sports field and we're on the courts and in the arenas. And, and we talk about how it is we love others, not because it's easy for us, but because it's what Christ has called us to we talk about how we go about and do our work in such a way that brings honor and glory to God even when we are ridiculed in the midst of it because we don't work for man, we work for God and in the classroom we talk about how important it is to know the word of God Because by this we understand all that is. Discipline and instruction is a holistic process that shapes a life around that which you want it to represent in its finished form. Jesus, the living word. And so the Christian father shapes his children to center all of life by talking about how we know, love, and obey him at all times in life. Father, Please do not neglect the potency of your words in your voice, echoing in your child's mind. I have no idea how many times I've referenced my mother or my father's voice in my own head. But at my young years, I still hear them daily. And I believe what they say. You will hear them too. You do. Your children will hear them. It's true of all people of all ages. I've talked to people on both ends of the spectrum deeply enslaved to sin by abuse or neglect of their father and they're trying to work out so many issues that they were cast into because of a father that was not godly. A father that neglected them, or abused them. I've spoken to highly successful people. This may be the one that shocked me the most. I've spoken to highly successful people who enlisting all their successes then state everything I did was simply to try and prove my father wrong because all I could hear in my head was his voice telling me all I would ever be would be a failure. That's a sad way to live a life, friends. That's no life at all. And fathers, we can change that with our tongue and our mouths. We can alter the course of a life. I can still hear my father's voice at the ballpark in junior high. That a boy, Lane, get a hit. He and my mother were the only two that believed that was actually going to happen. But I can hear him. I can hear him say so many things. Father, your children will hear your voice the rest of their life and their life will be shaped by it. Be intentional with the words you use, especially I love you. I'm so proud of you. You can't say those too many times and your kids are going to tell you, be quiet, I'm tired of hearing that. They're not tired of hearing it. Caring them all day long. Be strategic with your words to make sure your instruction is love the Lord as Paul says like reading scripture to reach a point of discussion or a lesson of life or teaching them how you learn something and what the word of God says and how that's come to have meaning for you because if you lead your children by reading God's word to them they'll not only love you for it they'll learn to love and to follow God because of it aspect number five strive to produce Christ likeness in your children The Christian parenting strategy has a very specific aim. That we take up the mantle of our children obeying their parents by us obeying God and leading them to obey Him, recognizing our authority, teaching them to love Him first in all things, and training and teaching them in the things of the Lord so that we can produce Christ-likeness in our. Children, That's our aim. The work of a godly father aligns outwardly with what it is God, the perfect heavenly father, is doing inwardly. For the Lord is at work in a child's life when a father is working on that child's life. God ordained fathers to lead their children to love Jesus first and to live for His glory in all of life. And fathers, as I conclude today, I want to ask you this one question. What will you do today to make sure your arrow flies straight and true? To see that it flies fast and accurate after godliness? Will you bow your heads? Friends, I'm not naive to think that a message like this falls on ears and hearts with the temptation to see our failures first and foremost. But fathers, I don't want you to see your failures today. It's not your failures that will ruin your children. It is your lack of humility and looking to God first. If you will trust in the Lord, your failures... And your successes will be used by Him to shape your children in godliness. But you must humble yourself to repent in order to lead because ultimately you're teaching your children to do the same, to repent before Jesus. And so I want to ask us today, fathers, what's one step we can begin to take? Maybe it's just more regularly telling your kids, I love you, I love you, and I'm going to tell you that every day the rest of your life. I'm so proud of you. You are the greatest blessing of God to my life. Your mother and I love you. See how many times you can say it to them so that they can't hear it in any other voice but yours. And fathers, if there's guilt or shame in you today for some failure, don't keep carrying that around. That's Satan tempting you. Repent of it. Take it to the Lord and receive His forgiveness and His cleansing. And walk with joy today for the legacy and the heritage that you'll get to leave by the blessing of the children God has bestowed upon you. The last thing I'll say, and I'll turn it over to the worship team. I know there are many in a crowd this size today that struggle Because their relationship with their father was not good. He may have just been quiet and absent. Or he may have been abusive. I wish I could undo that. I cannot. But I can tell you this. God can redeem it. If you'll let Him. You don't have to bury it and overcome it. You can expose it and lay it at the feet of Jesus and let Him deal with it. And I'm telling you, that's the only way that it's not going to keep infecting your heart. So if that's you today, I want to invite you to trust the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ that there is no sin that you commit nor that is committed against you that He will not forgive and redeem in you. You say, but what about? Don't what about me. Don't worry about anyone else. I'm talking about you and how it's affecting you. Don't live under that any longer. That is not God's will or plan for your life. Submit it to Him and let Him work in you first. And through you, ultimately. Let me pray. Father, thank you that we call you Father. And there's not one hint of error in that. How blessed we are to know you in that way. You are our perfect heavenly Father. You are unchanging in every way. Your love, your grace, and your mercy. You lavish it all upon us. And Father, there's so much joy and celebration today, but I know there's also a lot of anguish and hurt and sorrow from offense and sin. Jesus, I pray that in these moments you will help us minister to one another, encourage one another, but most of all look to you and remember the gospel and what you want to do in our hearts and lives. May we not walk away today unchanged. But may the name of Jesus become ever more hopeful the very Son of God who came and showed us our perfect Heavenly Father. And it's in His name we pray. Let's stand together and respond to the Lord. And